I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we're reading Acts chapters 9, 10, and 11. In Acts chapter 9, Saul gets saved. Verse 1, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest, and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the ground, and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand, and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. And hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in, and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight, and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent, that he might bring them bound unto the chief priest? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. Now, can it be that he who persecuted the church has now received Christ as Savior? Well, that's the story. 
It happened while he was on a mission for the Sanhedrin to arrest and deliver Christians back to the home office in Jerusalem. Since Christianity was regarded by the Romans as a sect of Judaism, the Jews policed themselves. Consider the extremes to which these Jewish leaders went to persecute these Christians. Damascus up in Syria, some 170 or so miles by foot away from Jerusalem. That's over a week's travel by foot. But Saul was willing to go that distance to harass the church and arrest believers, men and women. On the road, surprise, surprise, something supernatural takes place. And Saul is struck blind after he hears the voice of Jesus talking with him. For three days in Damascus, blind Saul fast from food and water. Then Ananias gets the divine call to go minister to one of the meanest men alive. A traumatic event in itself, when you think about it. What, I'm going to go face the man who's on a mission to arrest me? But he went nonetheless. He laid his hands on Saul, resulting in the restoration of Saul's sight, and he wasn't even arrested. Moreover, Saul himself then went into the synagogues there in Damascus, proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah. Could this be some sort of a sinister trick? I mean, uh, like a fake conversion? No, it's the real thing. But you can understand why other believers might have been a little bit suspicious. Incidentally, some have pointed to the wording of Acts chapter 22, verse 9, when compared to Acts chapter 9, verse 7, and they seem to see a difference in Paul's account of his conversion. Uh, well, look at the difference in the wording. Acts 22.9 says, And they that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. That's Paul's own testimony. And in Acts chapter 9, verse 7, here's the account. And the men who are journeying with him stood speechless, hearing indeed the voice, but seeing no one. Now, the Greek word for hearing or heard used in both instances is akuo. It's used over 400 times in the New Testament in various senses, such as to simply hear, sometimes to understand, sometimes to obey, or sometimes to respond positively. Luke obviously means to point out in Acts chapter 9, verse 7, that those accompanying Paul did hear that something was taking place, but as Paul comments in his testimony in Acts 22, 9, what was heard by Paul lacked clear definition to the other folks who were standing around. Then we find a death sentence on Saul in Acts chapter 9, verses 23 to 25. Verse 23, And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their laying wait was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down by the wall in a basket. Well, at least those Jewish leaders were consistent in their animosity toward Christians, weren't they? They then plot the newly converted Saul's murder, posting men at every gate leading out of Damascus with orders to assassinate Saul upon sight. However, he's lowered in a basket down the side of the wall encompassing the city. Paul was a real basket case, wasn't he? Well, that's kind of funny, isn't it? Paul later recounts what took place here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 32 and 33. That's where he describes some of the hardships he'd endured for the sake of the ministry. That brings us to the fact that the Christians, well, I mean, Paul had a reputation, 
Saul, should I say, and they're afraid of him. Verse 26. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him. Which, when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea, and sent him forth to Tarsus. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord, and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, were multiplied. So here we find, meanwhile, back in Jerusalem, Saul has a tough time convincing the Christians there that he's not in their presence to lock them up for their faith in Jesus. Naturally, they avoid him. Barnabas steps up to the plate and takes him before the apostles. Everything's good now, right? Well, wrong. Now we find that those sophisticated-acting Greek-speaking Jews, referred to in the King James Version as Grecians or Hellenists, these folks in Jerusalem try to kill him also. The newly converted to Christianity, Saul is having some difficulty making new friends. They feel it's necessary to send him out of the region to the place way north of his hometown, Tarsus, up in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Notice verse 31. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria. What a relief to have Saul out of the way. Well, Peter's on a roll here in verses 32 to 43. Verse 32. And it came to pass, as Peter passed throughout all quarters, he came down also to the saints which dwelt at Ludda. And there he found a certain man named Annas, which had kept his bed eight years and was sick of the palsy. And Peter said unto him, Annas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Arise and make thy bed. And he rose immediately. And all that dwelt at Ludum and Saron saw him and turned to the Lord. And there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died, whom when they had washed, they laid her in the upper chamber. And forasmuch as Lydda was nigh to Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent unto him two men, desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber, and all the widows stood by him weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed, and turning him to the body said, Tabitha arise, and she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up, and when he had called the saints and widows, presented her alive. And it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And it came to pass that he tarried many days in Joppa with one Simon a tanner. Well, the book of Acts has been good to Peter. He's done all the right things before God. No more denials for Peter. 
Moreover, he boldly takes a stand in the face of death wherever he goes. Peter heads northwest out of Jerusalem to Ludham, about 25 miles away, where he healed a palsied man named Aeneas, and then to Joppa, 35 miles northwest of Jerusalem on the coast. There he raises a girl from the dead, a girl named Tabitha. That's Hebrew or Dorcas in Greek. Both names mean gazelle. And many conversions follow these miracles. Chapter 10 takes us to the story of Peter and Cornelius, verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian Band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day an angel of God coming into him and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa, and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants, and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually, And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. Not only was Cornelius a Gentile, but he was an officer in this repressive Roman military that dominated all Judea. However, verse 2 tells us that Cornelius was a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. But he was a Gentile, not a Jew, He wasn't even a Samaritan. Keep in mind, up to this point, salvation had been only extended by the apostles to the Jews on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and then to the mixed-blood Jews, the Samaritans, in Acts chapter 8. Nonetheless, the prayer of Cornelius goes up, it says, as a memorial before God. It says that in verse 4. So the question arises, what was Cornelius' position before God prior to his meeting with Peter? Well, given the description of Cornelius in verse 2, it would be impossible to say that he was spiritually lost prior to this time. As a matter of fact, he'd apparently embraced monotheistic Judaism, probably minus the circumcision, as had the observant Jews prior to the day of Pentecost. He was ripe for Jesus as the Messiah, and God gave him the vision that brought about this revelation from Peter. So it would appear that Cornelius was really no different in his conversion reality than those God-fearing Jews who had accepted Jesus as Messiah when they were introduced to him. Meanwhile, back in Joppa, Peter has his own vision, beginning with verse 9. On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh into the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open and a certain vessel descending into him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. 
This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now, while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate, and called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius, and said, Behold, I am he whom ye seek. What is the cause wherefore ye are come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, and one that feareth God, and of good report, among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by an holy angel to send for thee into his house, and to hear words of thee. Then called he them in, and lodged them, and on the morrow Peter went away with them, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Well, in this um, episode right here, Peter's having a before meal nap, and he dreams about food, but it's richly unclean food. In verse 13 and 14, it says, And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. He has the same dream three times. However, the dream isn't really about food at all. It's about the Jewish attitude toward unclean people, the Gentiles. As a matter of fact, his rather informative dream voice tells him that he has visitors and he should go with them even though they are Gentiles. So it's off to see Cornelius and his household 30 miles or so up the coast to Caesarea. I wonder if he ever had a chance to eat before he left. Peter then arrives and we find in the next section of Scripture, verses 24 to 48, Peter addressing the household of Cornelius. Verse 24, In the morrow after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for him, and had called together his kinsmen and near friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up, I myself also am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. And he said unto them, You know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company, or come unto one of another nation. But God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying, as soon as I was sent for. I ask, therefore, for what intent ye have sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, and thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa, and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon a tanner by the seaside, who, when he cometh, shall speak unto thee. Immediately, therefore, I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now, therefore, are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. 
That word, I say, ye know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. So when Peter arrives at the house of Cornelius, he knows his vision at the beginning of this chapter was not really about unclean food, but rather about unclean people. Peter feels a little uneasy when this military leader falls at his feet in worship. Peter says, Stand up, I myself also am a man. He acknowledges to Cornelius that he now should not regard anyone common or unclean, including Gentiles. Cornelius has gathered a household of friends and relatives, all Gentiles, to hear Peter upon his arrival. Peter points out that he's breaking current Jewish law in verse 28 by his appearance there. Hey, Peter, I don't think any of the Jewish leaders are going to be coming around here to a Roman army officer's home. They're not going to be arresting you here. Cornelius then relates his experience with God, his fasting, prayer, and subsequent manifestation, which led to this occasion. Then Peter preaches a short message, at least our condensation of that message is rather short. As a result, these Gentiles have an Acts chapter 2 type experience. You need to look there to understand what I'm talking about. And that's right before the eyes of Peter and the witnesses, the Jewish witnesses that have come along with Peter. Peter's subsequent reply after viewing this miracle is found in verse 27 when he says, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? Now, the geographical components of Acts chapter 1, verse 8 have all been introduced. First, it was Jerusalem, and then it was Samaria, and then the uttermost part of the earth, which would include, of course, Gentiles. The cycle is now complete. Notice the groundbreaking statement that Peter makes in Acts chapter 10, verses 34 and 35. Here's what he says. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Hey, let's face it. It's no longer after this a Jewish thing. Now, let's review some passages of Scripture to see if we can put together a cohesive plan of purpose regarding Peter's post-resurrection life. If you want to, to get a really good overview of this, uh, go to the written notes of BibleTrack.org for today's reading and click on the links there. 
Jesus gives Peter some keys in Matthew chapter 16, verse 19. Let's consider that these keys were the introduction of the church to different categories of people. Those categories would be the ones listed in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. So in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus commanded that the gospel be taken to the Jews, then to the Samaritans, then to the uttermost part of the earth, being the Gentiles. Peter first introduced the gospel and church message to the Jews in Acts chapter 2. Then he introduced this message and received the Samaritans into the church in Acts chapter 8. Now here he is. Peter is receiving the Gentiles into the church in Acts chapter 10. Well, that's everybody. It really would appear to me to be a fulfillment of the keys prophecy given to Peter in Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, by Christ himself. After all, this new message of the church has now been extended to all races of people everywhere, and each time by the invitation of none other but Peter. In Acts chapter 11, Peter explains what just took place back at the household of Cornelius. Verse 1. And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him, saying, Thou wentest in to men uncircumcised, and didst eat with them. But Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning, and expounded it by order unto them, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. A certain vessel descend, as it had been a great sheet, let down from heaven by four corners, and it came even to me. Upon the which, when I had fastened mine eyes, I considered and saw a four-footed beast of the earth, and wild beast, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. And I heard a voice saying unto me, Arise, Peter, slay and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean hath at any time entered into my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. And this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. And behold, immediately there were three men already come into the house where I was, sent from Caesarea unto me. And the Spirit bade me go with them, nothing doubting. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house. And he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa, and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell thee words, whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them, as on us at the beginning, then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. So some of the Jewish believers back in Jerusalem, they're a little miffed about hearing that Peter had gone to the household of Cornelius, a Gentile, and given him the gospel. Who authorized this anyway? I mean, we hate Gentiles. They're not worthy. That's just our way. Well, a term is used in verse 2, which will keep coming up throughout Paul's writings, and that term is of the circumcision. These of the circumcision believers are those who believed that salvation in Christ was a step to be added on top of their Jewishness. To them, salvation without circumcision was, well, just impossible. It was skipping a fundamental step as far as they were concerned. 
Later, many of them would still be insisting that Gentiles who get saved also go through the steps of Jewish proselytization as a process of getting saved. The Jerusalem Council of Acts chapter 15 dealt with this very fallacy. So Peter goes through the whole before-meal dream incident about unclean food, which really wasn't about unclean food at all, in chapter 10, verses 9 through 23. Actually, it was about unclean people and the new declaration that there's no longer a category of people who are to be considered unclean. So where is the proof about this? Well, the proof is the fact that they received the same miracle, the Holy Spirit, that was received by the Jews on the day of Pentecost. Peter references the words of Jesus in Acts chapter 1, verse 5, here in verse 16, when he says, Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye should be baptized with the Holy Ghost. So just as on the day of Pentecost with the Jews... These Gentiles had displayed the very same manifestation that had been prophesied by Jesus. According to verse 18, this revelation regarding the acceptance of Gentiles was satisfactory to appease them, at least for now, and as a result, they glorified God. Now, in verses 19 to 26, we find out how we became known as Christians. Verse 19. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phenis and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which, when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord." Then tidings of these things came into the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul." And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Well, many of the missionaries sent out from the church in Jerusalem still preached only to Jewish people. But some of the Greek-speaking converts started preaching to Gentiles as well. Such was the case in Antioch, and many Gentile people got saved there. The church at Jerusalem sent Barnabas there to teach them. Realizing he needed some help, he sought out Saul, Paul, and they taught there for about a year. Now notice verse 26. This is where believers first became known as Christians. The Greek verb for called there carries a little more punch to it than initially meets the eye here in the King James Version. It's not the common Greek word kaleo for call. Instead, it's krematidzo, and literally means called as a result of a divine revelation. So the term Christian wasn't tagged onto these believers by their enemies in a sneering way, as some people have suggested. This tag became the identifier by a revelation from God himself. In all nine occurrences of this Greek word in the New Testament, this is the sense of that word. Incidentally, Barnabas goes on to become quite significant in the spread of the gospel message. He's first seen in Acts chapter 4, verse 36. You can look there and find more information about Barnabas. 
But trouble, unfortunately, is headed our way, beginning with verse 27 down through verse 30. And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem into Antioch, and there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Well, Agabus here, the prophet, he prophesies a famine. So the church in Antioch, about 300 miles north of Jerusalem, establishes a missionary relief program for the purpose of sending supplies back to the believers in Jerusalem. Well, I guess it turns out that being generous with the gospel paid off for those Jerusalem believers after all. Isn't it ironic that the Gentiles, who were considered unclean by many Jews, have a hand in sending monetary relief back to the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. Paul and Barnabas are selected to make the delivery back to the home office in Jerusalem. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walton.